Hey, morning everyone. Um, I went up to the toilet as I like to do before a sermon, um, more, more by nerves than anything else. Caught a look at myself in the mirror and thought, man, you look terrible. Uh, hay fever has well and truly taken, uh, taken a grip on me this week. I woke up streaming and everything. My eyes are, are baggy and bulgy. So I hope you can see through that and look to my heart and not my outward, my outward appearance. Uh, just about, just about squinting through. Um, but yes, luckily I'm here today to speak, so you can close your, close your eyes and listen if you want, and it's just as good, so. Uh, a number of you will be unfortunate enough to be friends with me on Facebook. Sam's wise, he's not on Facebook, very wise. Um, now, while this does mean that you get to see photos of Lena and Elise, you get invited to numerous gigs that you're never going to go to, and, uh, and learn of my latest cricket performances, which are very disappointing last week, or get bombarded with YouTube links for long-forgotten 90s alternative rock music. Good, oh, that's what I like, yes! It also means that you get inundated with wave after wave of political ranting and propaganda. <coughs> I do apologise. Rarely does an article about benefit cuts, the NHS, corporate tax avoidance, or perceived media bias appear in the news without me slapping it on the Facebook wall, a bit of a share, or going on about it over and over again. <coughs> So it was with a sense of extreme self-awareness that I found out that I'd be preaching today on 1 Peter 2, 13-25. With the opening verse, Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor, as the supreme authority, or to governors, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. I found myself on an extended journey through my mind, conscience, and theology. I was aware of these verses, of course, and other biblical teachings on earthly leaders, such as the story of Daniel, Joseph, and so on. But is my approach to politics and our national leaders biblical? As the book we've been using on, um, in this series, Juan R. Sanchez, his book states, As Christians... Are we to be revolutionaries called to overthrow unjust governments and establish a theocracy? Are we to be patriots full of nationalistic fervour and promoting our government and political system as the answer to every society's ills? Should we be conscientious objectors, separating ourselves from worldly government, refusing to take part? Or maybe we can simply bemoan government constantly complaining to others about how much tax we pay or how incompetent our leaders seem to be and what unwise laws they keep passing. Today, I'm not on my political soapbox. It's not some kind of party political broadcast and it's my prayer that at no point it seems that way. This is not about what political party is right or wrong or what my stance on us leaving or staying in the EU is. This is about God and us about how we are called to live under all kinds of earthly leadership when our ultimate loyalty is towards our almighty creator and saviour. As the Christian evangelist J. John says in his most well-known story, God owns all the donuts. Whether the donuts stand for money, which it is in his story, or possessions or earthly power, ultimately he's given them to us and we're just looking after them for him. They all belong to him. So I'm going to start today with a question, uh, my first question, which is, should we be just a yes man or a revolutionist? Or somewhere in between? 
The first half of the passage today, which I'm just about to return to, 1 Peter 2, verse 13 to 18, says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is the God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. The writer and theologian Wayne Grudem states that it is Christ- it's a proper sermon that I've included Wayne Grudem. The writer and theologian Wayne Grudem states that it is a Christian's responsibility towards all forms of rightful human authority to obey except when commanded to sin. Although we're allowed to disagree with the policies of authority, he draws from biblical passages which show that God has approved disobedience against the human government by his people. Briefly, we can look at a few of these passages. And as usual, I'm just going to hammer through a few, so make a note, I doubt you'll get to all of them in time. Exodus 1, verse 17 to 20 tells us how the God-fearing midwives refused to kill the Israelite boys when commanded by Pharaoh, outright lying to him. For their actions, God was kind to them. In Acts 4, Peter and John are arrested and brought in front of the Sanhedrin, the rulers, elders and teachers of the Jewish law, for preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. In verse 18, they commanded them not to speak or preach at all in the name of Jesus. But in response, Peter and John reply, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. The final passage I'll mention is Hebrews 11, verse 23, where the writer says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict which was to bring the boys and kill them. As for Stephen, one of my biblical heroes, he was pulled in front of the Sanhedrin on the accusations that he said that Jesus would destroy the temple in Jerusalem and that he had changed the custom of Moses. That is hugely heretical and offensive that stood against Jewish law. In Acts 7, he gives the kind of speech that I could only hope to have the courage and conviction to give if found in a similar position and proclaimed that he could see Jesus at the right hand of God in heaven, he's then found guilty of heresy and stoned to death. To be stoned to death for heresy was the law. But Stephen felt he had to say what he said and not apologise and retract everything afterwards. Now, this feels unfair that Stephen was killed for saying what he did. But Romans 13.1 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Paul was there at the stoning of Stephen, in charge of the coats. After his conversion, he would speak out as openly and challengingly as Stephen, and spent plenty of time in jail or sneaking around in fear of his life. However, he still saw the authority of our earthly leaders and the laws they laid out. Choosing to disobey when he felt they would make him sin against the Lord 
but accepting that there would be repercussions for actions that went against their laws. Ultimately, our leaders, political, at work, within the church, in sports teams, in clubs, in organisations, all stand below the overarching power of God. He's our absolute leader. And when our submission to him is challenged by laws, rules or edicts laid out by earthly leaders, then our loyalty has to be with him. Now this is huge. We're so fortunate to live in a country where, despite what it may seem like sometimes, we have a huge amount of freedom to follow Christ as our Lord and to live to his teachings. History is littered with Christian conscientious objectors during wartime. There's heroes of faith like Brother Andrew who smuggled Bibles into communist countries during the Cold War. There's Brother Yun, whose book The Heavenly Man seemed to be on every Christian bookshelf about 10, 15 years ago. He was instrumental in the Christian house church movement in China in the 80s and 90s. Rather than joining the acceptable government-controlled Christian organisation, he spread the truth of the gospel across the country and helped to found those tiny house churches. He became highly wanted, was arrested, beaten repeatedly, and was left severely malnourished. And then he escaped his inescapable maximum security prison when he heard the voice of the Holy Spirit just telling him to simply walk out. Walk out of the, hev- the highly guarded prison gate. As he walked, numerous gates were somehow left open, <coughs> and the guards, many of whom were later fired, for so-called embarrassing mishap, seemed to just stare straight through him. No one else has ever escaped that prison, and no one had before. When the laws of his earthly leaders directly went against his heavenly Lord, Brother Yun chose to side with his creator God. He suffered horrifically for it, but was ultimately blessed and has been used greatly by God to this day. History has often shown that those who stand against the common belief and laws of the time have been proved right eventually, Whether Martin Luther King speaking out out against segregation in the US. uh, There's been a lot of pictures recently of a young Jeremy Corbyn being escorted away from a protest against apartheid. And of Bernie Sanders being arrested at an anti-segregation protest in 63. Now, of course, when our stance goes against the law, then we should expect the law to react as it should. There have been stories in the news these last couple of years about hotel owners and the wedding cake maker refusing to serve gay people because they felt it went against their beliefs. Now there are anti-discrimination laws in place which make this discrimination illegal and from a legal standpoint, quite rightly, the Supreme Court's ruled against them. All this standing up against the government may seem exciting and I must admit that I myself love to challenge uh, government authority in my own little way. Share. This is an outrage. Um, <coughs> very little one. Our leaders are not divine. They're not to be worshipped. As the former Bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle, said over a hundred years ago, and I like this one, the best of men are only men at their very best. And then Sanchez in his book continues with, so too, the worst of all men are still only men at their very worst. Our leaders are mere human creatures like us. But as human creatures, they bear God's image. They are to enjoy our submission and our respect, but not our worship. So here's the central point of answering this first question. 
We can disagree with policies, with rules and so on. Sometimes something will feel wrong. Sometimes our very soul will ache at the injustice of a new policy or something a leader says or does. Sometimes we can flat out say, this goes against Jesus' teachings. In which case, we should remain loyal to God when that new law would lead us to be sinful. However, we are called to submit ourselves to human authority, to respect others and honour our political leaders. Sometimes it can be easier, sometimes it can be very hard, but there's something we can do, something that is suggested for many circumstances we find ourselves in. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 to 2 says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. We can pray for our leaders. We follow the laws and rules unless they command us to sin. We can become politically active to try and hopefully bring a Christian heart and voice to the table. Baroness Philippa Stroud, I don't know who, who knows of Philippa Stroud, she's married to Dave Stroud, the leader of Christchurch London. She fought poverty, pioneered a support project in Bedford for homeless people, and developed a project to care for addicts, homeless, and those in debt in Birmingham. She was twice a Conservative candidate in a general election. She co-founded the Centre for Social Justice. In 2009, the Daily Telegraph named her the 82nd most influential right-winger. Pretty certain that's political and not the football position. <laughs> and she was at ahead of Michael Howard. And she was openly Christian for her whole political career. There are Christians at every level in the Labour Party, Conservative Party, Lib Dem, Greens and so on. You can read their blogs, their tweets, their articles, and I have this week. They're marrying their beliefs with a lawful approach to trying to make a difference. I think it's far too early to really judge the new Lib Dem leader, Tim Farron, on his words or actions. He's only been there for a while. But here's an outspoken and committed Christian leading one of the main political parties from a left-leaning political position. Whether you vote Lib Dem or not, and agree with his political position, pray for him. He's already known as that Christian party leader. His first interview on Radio 4, all they talked about was his Christian belief. So pray for him. So in answer to my question I set out all that time ago, yes man or revolutionist, I'd say that the, the answer is, firstly, honour and submit to God. Then, honour and submit to your leaders. Hopefully, most of the time, you can do both. But if you can't, then we're taught that our responsibility is ultimately to God. He is our leader. Don't be afraid to get political. Get involved in food banks, charity work. Care for those who need it the most. Even get involved and try and make a change from within. But keep God in your heart and pray, pray, pray for the leaders. Now for this first question, I've gone route one. Straight for politics, government and so on. But please understand that the Bible, including today's passage, teaches us that leadership is at every level, from the top to local leaders to work bosses and so on. I just focused on higher government, but our submission, honouring and respecting is for everyone we see as our leader, manager or boss. I think we have time for another question from today's verses. And this one is an attempted snappy title. I'm going to call it, Suffer in Silence or Fight Against Injustice. Injustice sucks. I hate it. 
My mum says I get it from my dad. My heart hurts when I sense injustice being done towards a person or people that I know or don't know, or even to myself. Social justice is one of my big things. Again, some of you may have noticed that on Facebook. There was a time when I was living in Japan. It was towards the end of my time there, I think, so about 2012, 2011. I called my mum at 3 o'clock in the morning, Japanese time, and burst into tears down the phone, which uh, was quite emotional, actually. Um, why? Believe it or not, bear with me for a second, believe it or not, it was because a strip club I walked past on my way home that night had a sign outside it saying, no foreigners. Now, I'd rather there were no strip clubs, I don't want to go in, and I wasn't just feeling annoyed because of that. I disagree completely with their existence. However, it was the straw that broke my back, I think, after four years of seeing numerous similar things. The banning of certain people from an establishment based on their nationality. It's like treating people differently because of their skin colour, their age, their gender, so on. It reminded me of photos of America, in America from um, like 50 years ago with the signs above water fountains or bus windows saying that black people can use them. It just felt, it just felt unjust. As children, my brother and I would, of course, get into arguments and little fights. I'm older, believe it or not, I feel it today, and therefore used to be bigger and smarter than him used to. How things have changed. I definitely wouldn't try fighting him now. I just submit quite quickly. <laughs> the wisest thing to do. Anyway, mum and dad would put a stop to it, and we'd need to apologise to each other. Sensing that apologising sooner made the most sense, I was using my brain, I would usually apologise to Sam and then go about my business playing Lego or on my computer or something. However, Sam, clearly with an inbuilt sense of justice and justice himself, would sometimes get quite upset that he'd have to apologise for being involved in something that maybe I had started. I can see his point. <laughs> and he would refuse to apologise sometimes straight away ultimately leading him to being stuck, sat at the kitchen table for extended periods of time. I'm not going to, I'm not going to. It was Luke, he started it, he pushed me, he rolled me up in a blanket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he stuck, sat at the table, leaving me all cackling to build an incredible Lego space station or pirate island in my room. Thinking, ah, oh, that's good to apologise. <laughs> the second half of my passage today, from verse 19 to 25, ties in with these. It says, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that he might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. When approaching the topic of unjust suffering in his book, Sanchez clarifies the difference between the two types of suffering in verse 20. Receiving a beating for doing wrong and enduring it versus suffering for doing good and enduring it. 
If you're a Christian and your supervisor is having a go at you all the time for a low quality of work, unprofessional attitude or repeated lateness, this is not unjust suffering. It's not to your credit. If I'm not preparing my maths lessons at work, just leaving the young people to figure it out without any input at all, maybe rocking up late every day for a week, my boss catching wind of it gets on my back about my poor performance, then it's in, it's in his right to do so. I'm not doing my job properly. It's not unjust suffering. Fortunately, I adore both PowerPoint presentations and the sound of my own voice, and I do love a bit of input and getting alongside and helping the students, so I'm normally safe from those things. However, if I'm doing my job um, properly, the young people are learning, my time management and professionalism are second to none, my appearance is faultless, as it is Lizzie smirking. <laughs> if I'm doing my job properly, if I'm diligent and fulfilling what is required of me, and perhaps even more, but my manager is still discriminating against me, or crediting others for my work, or jokes about me, or passes me over for promotion, simply because of my faith, that is unjust suffering. And this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. I may not get my credit before man, but I will receive my reward before God. That's unjust suffering. This is where as Christians we can stand out, whether in the workplace or in a team or society. Again, Grudem says, and I would have said it myself, but he just says it perfectly. <laughs> it is at such times that the natural man's sense of justice and self-protection would seek revenge or would turn to insubordination and perhaps hatred against his master. The surprising response of a Christian is to take it patiently. This kind of endurance is something only made possible by being conscious of God and continually trusting him to care for those rights which have been trampled underfoot by others. Trusting God can be tough. It requires a lot of faith. I myself find it very easy to get frustrated and resentful or put out if I suffer in this way. As I said a few minutes ago, I go all injustice warrior. Ooh, it's not fair. There's a place for standing up against uh, social injustice when it comes to people who need our help. When it comes to personal injustice, it's a little different. 1 John 3, 17 to 18. Again, there's a few verses in a row. 1 John 3, 17 to 18. When it comes to social injustice says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions or in truth. Matthew 7 verse 12 says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. In Proverbs 31, King Lemuel's mother, I don't think that's how he said it, King Lemuel, his mother, he's a king, it goes by his name, tells him how to act, including in verses 8 and 9, she says to him, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. In Isaiah 1, speaking to a rebellious nation, it says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. But as those old wristbands asked, what did Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Who had a what would Jesus do bracelet? Ah, 
everyone of a similar vintage. A <laughs> fine vintage. What did Jesus do? Jesus fed the hungry. He defended the oppressed. He stood up for women's rights. He loved the outcasts, the despised, the rejected, and the sinner. He called on the rich and powerful to use their money to help him feed the poor. The poor? The poor. He defended his father's house, the temple, from the market and corrupting influence of the moneylenders. But when Jesus himself suffered unjustly, did he shout and scream and rage against the machine? No. Our passage today says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus is our example. He trusted God. He cared more for the approval of his father than vindication from people in the present. If we can trust God to right all wrongs, then we can face unjust suffering without retaliation because we have no need to take justice into our own hands. We can leave it in God's. God is in control of the situation. When we are suffering unjustly, then we are not suffering in silence. He knows. He feels our pain and our frustration and he's in charge. Remember, it is he who gives power to the leaders, however great they are, however good or bad they are. But the ultimate power lies with him. This is why we can suffer for doing good without having to seek revenge or an argument. Jesus died for our sins on the cross. He himself suffered unjustly, massively so. As Christians, we can live in the promise that we've been healed or saved by his wounds. We have the big picture. One day, we'll stand before God and suddenly all our suffering on earth will seem tiny and insignificant. Those times when we have a go back at our bosses and our co-workers like, Woo! Yeah, you go! That will suddenly seem laughable and a bit ridiculous. It seemed a bit ridiculous then. But it will seem even more so. Christ lived as an example to us. He loved other people. He challenged others to love and care for those in need. He broke social conventions and challenged some of the ways of thinking at the time. However, when the law decided, unjustly, that he must be crucified... He went as a lamb to the slaughter. We live in the promise of our future inheritance and that the almighty God, our Father and Creator, will commend us personally for those times that we suffered following the example of Christ. Okay, could Adam and the band come up please and we're going to worship.